0: Well, if you would open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, we'll look at verses 11 through 21. That much I know. <laughs> now, also, what we're going to examine this morning is something that is crucial to you and I in such a time as this. We live in a difficult season, right? But we were told one was coming. Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3 that in the last days perilous times will come and he gave a series of human character flaws that we see manifested in our world today, in our country today, in our county today that are present and active and increasing and therefore we need to be ready, we need to be prepared for life in such a time as this. And Paul is going to, as he finishes his defense of his apostolic authority, and he will move into his applying his authority after he has an encounter with uh, Mike, who is bringing in an iPad that I obviously left in my briefcase. Goodness sakes. See, this election has affected me too, so... But as we are continuing our journey through Galatians, as I said, our text and topic today is one that we need to hear. It's something that's been exclusive for the Christian experience throughout the whole of church history. But I think it's even more important today as we are at the end of church history. Jesus is coming for us soon and we're going to be out of here in a moment and a twinkling of an eye. Now, listen this morning as we are in the final home stretch and the Lord is uh, coming to get us, as I said. We need to remember something that was written about the days in which we now live and beyond. In Matthew 24, 9 to 14, Jesus said, then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you. Anybody got the warm fuzzies from that? (laughs) Now, remember, Peter... Uh, James and John and Andrew asked Jesus a series of questions about the last days and the signs of his coming. And this is part of the answer known as the Olivet Discourse. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then, listen close, many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many, and because lawlessness will abound, is that advancing today? The love of many will grow cold, is that advancing today? But he who endures to the end shall be saved. Now, enduring is part of the gospel message, and when Christ saves us, he saves us permanently and for real amen and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations i believe that's the angelic preacher in revelation and then the end will come now what jesus speaks of in the olivet discourse is related to the great tribulation the church will not go through the great tribulation we do not have an appointment with God's wrath, and the whole seven years is indeed God's wrath. And therefore, as he pours out his wrath on the whole world, we will not be present for that. But we also need to note that being hated for his namesake is not something exclusive to those who love Jesus during the tribulation. Jesus said in Matthew ten twenty-one to 22, that brother will deliver up brother to death. And a father to his child and children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But here it is again. He who what? Endures to the end will be saved. Now, it's interesting that Paul said the time will come when they will not endure or put up with sound doctrine. Are we in that time as well? Now, Matthew 24 relates exclusively to the days directly prior to the tribulation and during the tribulation. But what Jesus said to his disciples as he sent them out as sheep among wolves in Matthew 10 tells us that the church age is also going to have this particular experience. Have there been martyrs throughout the years? Some have said that there's been over 100 million Christians martyred throughout the centuries, and the bloodiest century of all was the one we just completed. More Christians were killed in the 20th century than all the previous centuries combined just because they loved Jesus. Now, interesting as we see this develop, and don't get so quiet in here, we're still going to heaven, right? Now, we want to go in the group plan. Yes. Amen. Uh, we don't want to go in the individual plan, even though God has many who go to him through the means of death, even yet today, and some through martyrdom. Now, there's an interesting article in Scientific America related to children turning against their parents and brothers and sisters and siblings and all the other things that he named that are a cause of hatred for his name's sake on those who do love his name. Scientific America had an article that said, children, change your mind, change the mind of your parents about climate change. (laughs) In other words, children, take control of the household and teach your parents what they're too stupid to know. Now, apparently nobody's smarter than a fifth grader in the eyes of Scientific America. Now, kids have been encouraged in our day to report their parents who own guns. If your parent owns a gun, Notify someone at school, or if your parents violate COVID restrictions, or if your parents fail to recycle, you need to let someone in authority know. (laughs) Now, the truth is that what is going to happen during the tribulation is going to be normalized before the tribulation and reach its ultimate fulfillment during the tribulation. Now, I have to say it is well underway. And I think we need to recognize that President Trump is deemed as a racist by the left, and evangelical Christians are viewed as his main support base. So, if we are supporting a racist, we are therefore racist. racist. Is that true? No. Of course not. Now, some of you may have seen floating around on the internet the Trump Accountability Project. Now, this is the tolerance crowd. That is assembled the Trump ability, uh, uh, accountability project. And the accountability project basically says this, we need to hold accountable people who put Trump in office. We need to hold them accountable who work for him. We need to hold accountable those who financially supported him. Who's the main body that supports Trump? the church so they're saying we need to hold the church accountable as well as people in political office who supported the president and stood by him we need to hold them accountable it sounds to me like the tolerance crowd is not very tolerant (laughs) now hatred towards Christians is nothing new but it is clearly prophesied to escalate in the last days therefore we need to be ready for what's coming Now in Hebrews 10, 23 to 25, we're reminded to hold fast the confession of our hope, how? Without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. That's the day of the Lord. That's the tribulation, the 70th week of Daniel. That is what is on the horizon for our world today. Now, My desire for our time today is to do just that, to stir up your love for the Lord. He's going to come get you out of this mess. Amen. 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 But we ought to love him, not because we're going to escape the tribulation, but because he died for the sins of the whole world and paid with his own blood for your sins and mine, which are many. Ours are many, not just, (laughs) I mean, mine are many. There's no question about that. But listen, let me remind you of something. We don't have to earn His love. We don't have to merit His love. He died for us when we were all messed up. He died for the ungodly. We don't have to work for our salvation. We don't have to work to keep our salvation. But I do believe as the saved who love God, we need to learn to live what the Bible would call, and here's our title this morning, The Crucified Life. Our title this morning is The Crucified Life. How come you didn't get all happy-clappy over our title? <laughs> now listen, in our time we're going to draw three general conclusions about the crucified life through the specific application of them in our text. And having finished the defense of his apostleship, Paul now moves to the exercise of his apost- uh, apostolic authority, both practically, practically and doctrinally. So let's jump in and learn what it means to live the crucified life as a christian in the last of the last days. So would you stand and read with me please? We'll start with Galatians chapter 2 verses 11 through 13 and we'll finish off the chapter eventually. Galatians 2:11. Now when Peter had come to Antioch, I withstood him to his face because he was to be blamed. For before certain men came from James, he would eat with the Gentiles. But when they came, he withdrew and separated himself fearing those who were of the circumcision. And the rest of the Jews also played the hypocrite with him, so that even Barnabas was carried away with their hypocrisy. And Lord, we thank you for this powerful book of Galatians. We thank you for the whole of your word. But we thank you for the timeliness of what we're going to look at today and what we have in past weeks. Thank you, Lord, that you have brought us together to equip us for the work of ministry, even in such a time as this. Give us ears to hear what your spirit is saying, for we ask it, In the name above all others, the name of your Son, Yeshua, our Savior. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Now, one important fact to point out, and that is the timing of this event is believed to be prior to the events recorded in Acts chapter 15. And then it will come into play here in a few moments when Paul actually visited Jerusalem. And thus, this event became the point of conversation between Paul and the Jerusalem council headed by James. Now, it's also helpful in reading this to remember what happened with Peter when he was directed by the Holy Spirit through a vision to go with the men who came to take him to meet a Gentile guy named Cornelius. Now, in Acts chapter 10, 9 to 16, we have the record. The next day, as they went on their journey and drew near the city, Peter went up on the housetop to pray about the sixth hour. Then he became very hungry and wanted to eat, But while they made ready, he fell into a trance and saw heaven opened and an object like a great sheet bound at the four corners, descending to him and let down to the earth. In it were all kinds of four-footed animals of the earth, wild beasts, creeping things and the birds of the air. And a voice came to him and said, rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said something we should never say. (laughs) Not so, Lord, remember the Lord doesn't tempt anyone with evil, according to James, right? But Peter said, not so, Lord, for I have never eaten anything common or unclean. And a voice spoke to him again the second time. What God has cleansed, you must not call common. This was done how many times? Three times. times, And the object was taken up into heaven again. Now remember, Peter Is the apostle to the Jews. And the Lord was telling him through this vision that the law, having now been fulfilled by Jesus Himself, had ended the dietary restrictions and all the other portions of observance uh, of the law for the Jews. Now, Peter went and ate with Cornelius. And what Paul writes here in Galatians tells us that this had been his practice since that time. Because the tense of the verbs here in our text from the phrase, eat with the Gentiles, indicates a constant or continuous practice. Now, he did this until certain men, certain Jews, who alleged that they had come from James... And Peter changed his practice and went back to only eating at the kosher table with his fellow Jews. Now, in Acts 15, Luke tells us that these certain men actually came from Judea in that scene and said that the Gentiles had to be circumcised in order to be saved. Paul and Barnabas disputed with them, and the matter wound up before the council in Jerusalem. And when the issue concerning the Gentiles needing to become Jews in order to be saved, guess who stood up and refuted these particular propositions? It was Peter. In Acts 15, 7-11, And when there had been much dispute, Peter rose up and said to them, Men and brethren, you know that a good while ago God chose among us that by my mouth... The Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. So, God, who knows the heart, acknowledged them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as He did to us, and made no distinction between us and them, purifying their hearts by what? Now, therefore, why do you test God by putting a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear? But we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner as they. By grace through faith, it is the gift of God. It is not of works, lest anyone should boast about being worthy to be saved, is what's implied there in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10. Now, I mentioned that the encounter that Paul had with Peter preceded the events in Acts 15 so we could see that there was fruit from the confrontation. And the reason Paul took such a firm stand was that the gospel was being compromised and Peter's actions were actually endorsing the teaching of the certain men from James. Again, that was their claims. James uh, later refuted this. And Peter, fearing what this group would say about him, in essence, condemned the Gentiles as unsaved because they were uncircumcised. And his actions showed he agreed with the Judaizers which he did not. Now, this is going to be clear as we get deeper into our text, but I want to pause and make a point. Remember, Peter was one of Jesus' inner circle. He, James, and John were the closest to Jesus, so to speak. And the apostle to the Jews, whom Paul greatly loved, and who was the apostle long before Paul, Peter, that is, had played the hypocrite. And his position and influence began to spread To other people so that even Paul's initial ministry partner Barnabas was carried away with their what? Hypocrisy. Hypocrisy. This is what the Bible says, Peter's actions. Uh, Remember, Paul is being inspired by the Holy Spirit to write this, right? So Peter was a hypocrite. He was playing the hypocrite. And in Greek culture, a hypocrite was the word used to describe the acting of a person on a stage. Spiritually speaking, it means to profess one thing and do another, or even to do the opposite. Now, here's how this applies practically to you and I in living a crucified life. Do you want to know how to live a crucified life? Yes. I heard all you, where are you guys at? Are you guys, you want to live a crucified life? Yes. yes, I know you do. Listen this morning. The crucified life is doing the right thing, even when it's a hard thing. The crucified life is doing the right thing, even when it's a hard thing. Now listen, Paul had great confidence in his knowledge of the word. Remember, as a Pharisee, he had to have the Pentateuch memorized. And anytime he encountered a rabbi, he had to quote a passage on demand to that rabbi. Paul knew the word. Now, this is very sadly today being put into practice by many. In other words, they are departing from what they believe and what the Bible says because of fear of other people. Now, let me give you an example today. And this, I think, is just the most prominent. So it's the reason that I chose this as an example. How many times have we heard of a Christian changing their position on homosexuality being a sin because someone they love or care for has come out as gay or lesbian? It happens all the time. Now, is that a hard thing to tell your child that you're committing an abomination against God by your sexual activity? Is that a hard thing? Yes. So do we skip it? No. no. We stand fast on the Word of God. We don't adapt to what's being said and taught uh, by the church and through the gospel to accommodate somebody else's misunderstanding or misinterpretation misinterpret- of Scripture. Of course, that's going to be a hard thing. It's a hard thing to emotionally accept that someone you love is lost and perishing, especially if they claim to believe in Christ as Savior and Lord. But this is the same thing that's being confronted by Paul to Peter. A biblical truth was being ignored. And Peter was saying one thing, but he was doing another. Now in Luke 22:66 to 71, we're told as soon as it was day, the elders of the people, both chief priests and scribes, came together and led him, Jesus, into their council, saying, If you are the Christ, tell us. But he said to them, If I tell you, you will by no means believe. And if I ask, if I also ask you, you will by no means answer me or let me go. Hereafter, the son of man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Then they all said to him, are you then the son of God? And he said, isn't it funny that so many claim today, Jesus never claimed to be God. I've heard Muslims say that all, many, many times. Jesus never claimed to be God. Well, the council asked him if he was the son of God. And he said, yes. And he also would later say he and the father are one. Now, he said to them, you rightly say that I am. And they said, what further testimony do we need? For we have heard it ourselves from his own mouth. Now, I wanted to read this for this reason. Sometimes people aren't going to like what we have to say. Hello? Sometimes people aren't going to like what we have to say, just as was true with Jesus. But consider this regarding our example in our text this morning. When Christians begin to deny clear biblical truth, it starts to spread. And other people start to believe the same thing. Now listen, we have a lot of people today in the Democratic Party who have studied and done research and follow after the teachings of Saul Alinsky, and particularly a book called the rules for radical. And one of his rules is that if you tell a lie often enough, it will soon be believed as true. And listen, that's true for both sides of the coin. If you get inside the church and you lie about what the Bible says or what the Bible actually means, some people are going to start to believe it and practice it. Case in point, someone as strong in the faith, the son of encouragement like Barnabas, got carried away because Peter, who was tight with Jesus, Peter, who was one of the first apostles, was doing something that was contrary to scripture. So others started doing it too. Now, I have to say one more thing before we move on. Remembering the crucified life is doing and saying the right thing, even though it's a hard thing. Somebody say, now listen. Peter denied the Lord three times out of fear. On the night that Jesus was betrayed and about to be wrongly accused, mocked trialed and executed. And here's Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit of God, having preached the first gospel sermon of the church age in which God added 3,000 souls to his church and he falls right back into the sin of fear because of the presence of other people. Here's the point. He's confronted and he repents. And in Acts 15, he stands up and says, wait a minute, Judaizers, what you're saying is not true. Peter messed up as the apostle to the Jews, but God still used him because he repented. Amen. I'm sorry, do I need to say that again? Amen. Peter messed up as the apostle to the Jews, but God still used him because he repented. Peter fell in the same way he had fallen before, but Peter got up, he didn't stay down, and so can we. Somebody say amen. amen. Now, let's look at 14 to 16 as we move on. Paul says, But when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter before them all, If you, being a Jew, live in the manner of the Gentiles and not as the, as the Jews, why do you compel Gentiles to live as Jews? We here are Jew, who are Jews by nature and not sinners of the Gentiles. Knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Christ Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by works of the law, what are the next two words? No No flesh will be justified. Now, as we mentioned a moment ago, it was the integrity of, of the gospel message that was being infringed upon by Peter and others hypocrisy that Paul says here they were not being straightforward about the truth of the gospel. In other words, they had morphed the message into something that it didn't contain. Now this is why we need to note that we are saved by the blood of Jesus. And being saved by the blood of Jesus is an act of God's grace and nothing else. We aren't saved by Jesus' blood and water baptism, even as an infant or as an adult, knowingly and understanding what it represents. We are not saved by confirmation. We are not saved by works. We are not saved by dietary restrictions or observance of or adherence to any part of the Mosaic law. Let me also say we're not saved because we're good people. Amen. <laughs> why did that get the biggest amen out of the rest of the things? Because I think we all understand the standard of measure for goodness and morality is God. And if we're measured against God, the only conclusion can be is that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This is why the Lord would say there is none good, no good. Not one. When you measure them up against me is what is implied. He being God. Me being God. No, I'm not God. I mean, you know what I mean. I better get out of this before I dig the hole deeper. Now, Paul says to Peter and others, If you guys as Jews have been freed from the restrictions of the law of Moses as evidenced by eating with the Gentiles and eating anything except stuff that is sacrificed to idols, then why are you trying to put the Gentiles under the restrictions that you just came out from under through Christ? You know full well the law didn't have the capacity to save anyone. It only condemned everyone who tried to keep it because no one could. Now in Luke eleven thirty-seven 37 to 41, as Jesus spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and sat down to eat. Now when the Pharisee saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. Now, this is why Paul is so incensed at the hypocrisy of the men with Peter. He, being a former Pharisee, would certainly be aware of this particular statement of Jesus, even though he may not have been present to hear it directly himself. After all, the Pharisees, the scribes, and the Sadducees were always trying to attack Jesus, always trying to uh, trap him in some type of uh, failure according to the law of Moses. And Jesus said, listen, Pharisees, all of these externals you focus on are actually only hiding the deadness of your soul. He has much more to say in the following uh, verses in Matthew 11, but... He illustrates the point of God's cleansing of the inner man through the giving of alms. So that didn't make them clean, but it was evidence that as they began to care for other people, God had done a work on the inside of them. Now, in his argument, Paul incorporates a legal term concerning God's gracious offer of salvation that is exclusively by faith alone or through the blood of Jesus alone. Amen. Amen? He mentions the legal phrase or term justification the term actually means to be rendered innocent now in second corinthians 5 20 to 21 paul said now then we are ambassadors for christ as though god were pleading through us we implore you on christ's behalf be reconciled to god for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that we might become the righteousness of god in him now This is where we need to remind ourselves constantly that though Peter had slipped back into his former fear-driven behavior, his position in Christ remained unchanged. He is, and we are, through the blood of Jesus, rendered innocent. And in him we have become the righteousness of God. I'm not going any further until somebody says something. That's some good stuff there. Amen? Now, here's how this relates to the crucified life. The crucified life will never amend or marginalize the truth of the gospel. The crucified life will never amend or marginalize the truth of the gospel. And listen, no Christian, say no Christian. No No Christian and certainly no legitimate Christian pastor would ever deny the exclusivity of the Christian faith as the only means by which one can be saved. No Christian, say no Christian. no Christian, or legitimate Christian pastor is going to amend or minimize the moral standards of God by which sin is identified and also therefore to be repented of. Now, there was a man who some time ago did an interview with Oprah Winfrey. He is a pastor of Hillsong Church in New York. He oversaw all the Hillsong churches in New York. A pastor uh, by the name of Carl Lentz. And he went on Oprah and she asked him directly, is Christianity the only way to access God? He said, no. Now, interestingly, just last week, he was removed from his position as a pastor for cheating on his wife. Now, the reason I say that, and you guys know me. I don't usually name names. I get emails sometimes after a sermon. Why didn't you say their name? Well, sometimes there is a time to say a name. As Paul said, Hymenaeus and Alexander did me great harm. Watch out for them. And sometimes there is a time to name names, but sometimes it's the action that's more important for us to understand. Are you here this morning? Now, therefore, I think this makes a point, and we need to understand this, that major doctrinal error can certainly lead to or be an indication of other problems, including moral failure. Therefore, we need to make sure that we maintain the apostolic doctrines as they are stated in Scripture. Now, in John 14, 23 to 24, Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. How would they do that? Through the presence of the Holy Spirit. So you have the triune nature of God presented here. He who does not love me does not keep Remember the word tereo, the Greek word uh, translated as keep means to guard from loss or injury. He who does not love me does not guard from loss or injury my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. And again, We have the three distinct personages of the triune Godhead presented here in this text, just as we do with Jesus' baptism, where he is being baptized. The Spirit descends on him as a dove would descend upon something. And the Father speaks from heaven. And we see God, three persons, yet one God manifested there and in the verses we just read. Now, that means whatever Jesus said and whatever the Holy Spirit inspired are of equal value. Amen. Yes. Listen, if somebody says you only should read the red letters or only read what Jesus said, I think the Holy Spirit would take offense to that. Cuz he's God too, right? Yes. Who wrote all of scripture? All scripture, say all scripture. All scripture is inspired by God, 2 Timothy 3:16, and is therefore Profitable. Listen, the crucified life never amends, minimizes, or marginalizes any aspect of the truth of the gospel, even if that means we stand alone against the rest of the world. Now, Revelation 2.13. Paul said, I, or Paul, Jesus said, I know your works. And where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, writing to the uh, church at Pergamos, And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was what? Killed, Killed among you. Now, tradition says that as Antipas was about to be executed, his executioners who were about to take his life said, Antipas, the whole world is against you. To which he replied, then I am against the whole world. And sometimes we need to stand alone. Amen? Amen. And after all, Antipas' name means against all. He was one who was willing to stand alone if necessary. And Jesus called him my faithful martyr. We don't amend our message because it rubs society the wrong way. Some... uh, person came up to Billy Sunday after he had preached and Billy was known to go contrary to culture much of the time and he was a mince no words kind of preacher and somebody walked up to him I'm not even sure what this saying means but he obviously did but somebody walked up to Billy after his message and he said well you sure rubbed the cat the wrong way this time and Billy said well turn a cat around (laughs) we're going to rub people the wrong way right so do we change the message because people are bothered by it Of course not. It's more important that we not offend God than we not offend people. Man, I don't know what happened there. Now, we don't amend our message because it rubs society the wrong way because this is to deny Jesus' faith and the truth of the gospel message. And the crucified life will have nothing to do with those kinds of actions, no matter how hard it may be to stand fast, having done all to stand. Amen? Amen? Now let's wrap up our chapter with 17 to 21. But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is Christ therefore a minister of sin? Certainly not. A favorite phrase of Paul's. For if I build again those things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I through the law died to the law that I might live to God. Here comes a monument. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live. In other words, he's living the crucified life. But Christ lives in me and the life which I now live in the flesh. I live by faith in the Son of God. Listen to how he personalizes the work of Christ on the cross. Who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now Paul Makes the ridiculous point that some, through their accusations, were implying that justification by faith creates a license to sin, and those who don't keep the law, who are in Christ, make Christ the agent of sin. Paul's answer was, in paraphrase, listen, even though I do things that I don't want to do, it's not Christ who sins, it's me who sins. And this is what he was dealing with with Peter. Remember the context. In Romans 6, 1 to 7, he said, What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There's this phrase again. What is it? Certainly not. not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Or do you not know that as many of us as were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man, ladies, that's not talking about your husband, (laughs) our old man was crucified with him Our old nature, therefore, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be doulos, or slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Peter would later write the same thing in 1 Peter 4.1, that he who has uh, suffered in Christ has ceased from sin. Now the summary form of this great doctrinal statement of Paul's in Romans is verse 20 of Galatians that he has been crucified with Christ and it's no longer he who lives but Christ lives in him who loved us and gave himself for us he then equates adding the uh, works to the law the works of the law to the gospel is to set aside which means to annul or neutralize the grace of god now let me just say this this morning as we wrap things up i'm not sure why some see moral repentance as an infringement on God's grace. Because the truth is, repentance brings about freedom. Listen, I'm glad I'm not a drunk anymore. So is my family. So should you be. You'd definitely have a different pastor if I was. Listen, I'm thankful for repentance. And I didn't repent because, oh, you better. No, I repented because God changed me. And the things that I used to desire and long for, I didn't desire and long for anymore. I wanted different things. I wanted his things. I wanted his will for my life and not my own. I lived for myself and it was a living hell. And some of you can say amen to that. Now, Ephesians 4.28 also reminds us, Paul says to the church at Ephesus, let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his own hands what is good, that he may have something to what? Give him who has need. Stealing is a violation of God's moral code. Thou shalt not steal. steal, Right? And Paul here clearly states that there is a transformation that comes with being saved by grace through faith. And his example is stealing from others and then learning to give to others. And that's how he makes his point. There's a story that floated around of early in the 19th century, a group of British young men who had graduated from seminary and they had a burden for the uh, headhunters, if you will, of the New Hebrides. And therefore, these young men boarded a ship to go preach to these headhunters, these uh, people who were notorious for obviously head shrinking and the other things that go along with some of these tribal cultures. And the captain of the ship heard where these men were going and what they wanted to do. The captain found this group of young men and basically accosted them and said, listen, you're going to die out there. And one of the men immediately replied, we died before we ever left home. They were living the crucified life. Now, this brings us to our last consideration of the crucified life. Listen this morning. You ready? The crucified life is living like your eternal destiny is safe and secure. The crucified life is living like your eternal destiny is safe and secure. Can we be separated from the love of God? Can anyone snatch us from the Father's hand? Therefore, is our eternal state secure in Christ Jesus? Yes, it is. And like the young missionary boys, or should we become like Antipas, the Lord's faithful martyr, we could say, you can't kill me. I'm already dead in Christ and alive again through him. The second death has no power over me. So the first first death is of no consequence to me. Now listen, I've told you before, I'll say it again this morning and probably will in the future. I have no fear of death. I have some concerns of the means, but I have no fear of death. Who wants to die a violent death, right? I mean, who wants that? But if it's that or deny Christ, I'll take the violent death. That was a weak amen, but I'll take it. You know what it really should be? I mean, we should love life, right? I love being alive. I I told you before, when I said this in Dallas, there was a huge gasp. I love California. I love living here in the United States. I love the beauty and all the splendor and the blessings we've received from God. Listen, I'll take heaven over any of this any time. Amen. Amen. Now, Matthew 10, again, Jesus addressing those uh, who were close to him as well as the uh, listeners who doubted him. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light and what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul but rather fear him who is able both to destroy or destroy both body and soul, where? Hell. In hell. Listen, state is, uh, hell is not a state of mind. It's not a description of life without Christ. It is a literal, physical place. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? And not one of them falls to the ground apart from your father's will. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not, what? Fear, fear therefore, you are more valued than many sparrows. Do you believe that today? Yes. God values our life. He values us, precious in the eyes of the Lord, as the death of his saints. But sometimes God allows his precious saints to die and calls them his faithful martyrs. Now, this isn't an indication of the election results, by the way, though it could get there. I mean, the persecution of the church in America is on the rise. Amen? Now, I want to close today with something Terry sent me yesterday from a book called The Prayers of Peter Marshall. And I think this is interesting because she sent this to me right as I was in this portion of the message. She had no clue what today's message is all about. She didn't know what we were going to be talking about today. And therefore, since she sent this to me, I feel pretty comfortable saying, I think the Lord wants us to hear this. So I'm going to ask you to do something this morning. I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes and listen to this prayer of Peter Marshall, our father. With so much bitterness in the world, this poor, bleeding world, stumbling from blunder to blunder, hollow with graves, hard with hate, may we who own the name of Christ shed abroad thy love. We pray for a broader vision of the needs of all mankind and a deeper compassion to fill those needs, for a planting of seeds of concern for all humanity in our hearts, for a tapping of the wells of generosity. Help us to live together as a people who have been forgiven a great debt. Help us to be gentle, walking softly with one another. Help us to be understanding, lest we add to the world sorrow or cause to flow one needless tear. Help us to stand for what is right, not because it may yield dividends later, but because it is right now. Help us to be as anxious that the rights of others shall be recognized as we are that our own be established. Help us to be as eager to forgive others as we are to seek forgiveness. Help us to know no barriers of creed or race that our love may be like thine, a love that sees all men as thy children and our brothers. God, help us all to be ministers of mercy and ambassadors of kindness for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. This is the prayer of a crucified life. Dr. Peter Marshall was a chaplain to the Senate of the United States. And this is how he would pray over our legal representatives in Washington, D.C. We would do well to have a prayer life like this. We would do well to pray and live and believe according to the crucified life especially in times such as these. We're seeing many changes in our world today. And someone posted this morning a quote from John Calvin that said, When a nation is in error, God punishes them with wicked rulers. And listen, the principle is true, and it certainly was true for Israel. But our nation very possibly got the man they voted for. And there are many things that are going to happen in these coming days. And therefore, we need to be living the crucified life now more than ever. And make sure we never forget that someday, faster than that, we're going to be home and forever be with the Lord. That keeps everything in perspective. Amen. So, bow your heads with me, please. Father, again, we are so grateful for your word. And thank you, Lord, not just that you told us about the confrontation of Paul to Peter, but you also told us about the results. That Peter realized, yeah, I fell back into who I was for the moment before I was filled with your spirit. But Peter got up and he got back to teaching the right way and defending the truth and the integrity of the gospel. Help us, Lord, not to have fear based actions in times such as these. But help us, as Peter Marshall prayed, to have a heart filled with love for the lost and perishing. And be willing to do anything that others may come to know you. We thank you for our time together this morning in your matchless word. We give you all praise and glory. And Lord, we do pray for our nation. We pray, God, for uh, these election results, Lord, as we, sadly, we have a media that cannot be trusted. And uh, lies without conscience and tries to promote and dictate policy and the presidency and everything else. So Lord, as we prayed on our night of prayer last Sunday night, we pray for fairness. We pray that uh, all cheating be exposed, if there is any, and there sure seems to be some. But Lord, we pray that the outcome of this election is the real outcome, the true outcome. And therefore, Lord, if it goes in a way that we don't desire, we pray that we (coughs) would accept uh, that American voters have voted for really their own demise in a lot of ways. And Lord, help us to reach out and tell them about the love of Jesus, that they might be saved. So we thank you for our time again this morning. Help us to live the crucified life. And we ask these things in Jesus' name and all God's people said together, Amen. Amen.